Lasso. This morning, of course, we'll be returning to the practice of settling the mind, its natural state. And I think as we've all learned, it has a lot to do with control and the relinquishment of control. Also the very notion of possession. And it struck me this morning that we human beings, it's not just a a modern thing, it's a very ancient human thing. Uh, I think all of us wish to have a sense of self-worth, a sense that we are of value as an individual, that we're worth something, that that we're not worthless. And there's been a long habit of us humans of seeking to establish our sense of self-worth in terms of what we possess. And and in the modern world, we make this very crass. It's utilitarian, it's in the face, it's very transparent. When we actually speak of the the worth, the net worth of a certain individual, you know, a Bill Gates or a Carlos Slim or whoever it may be, what's his net worth? Wow, he's worth a lot, right? And what that's referring to, of course, is his assets. And how do you know that you have assets or that you have have something, I think this is again a general theme, because you can control them. And so in old times, not so much a modern notion, uh, children were assets. You would have children because they could work for you, they could keep your business going, your farm going. So more children means more employees, and you can just basically pay them room and board. And you got an employee until until they get their own employees and start their own families. But then we'd have phrases like, can't you control your own children? Can't you control your own children? Or in patriarchal societies, can't you even control your own wife? She is, after all, your possession. And so that whole notion of possession and control seems to be inextricably linked. Uh, And if something is, is out of your control, then the question can easily be raised, do you have it anymore? If somebody steals your money and you can't control that money anymore, Exactly why do you think it's yours, right? If somebody's stolen your car and they've driven off to another country, is that still your car? You may think so, but your control over it is zero. So here we come right back to the nucleus, right back to our, our personhood here, having a sense that I have a body and why? For a very simple reason, because I can control it. I can't control anybody else's body like I can control mine, and so this must be mine. This is one of my basic assets. And then I've got a mind, and I want to look left, and I look left, and I want to look right, I look right, I guess this must be mine, because I can control that as well. And now as we settle the mind in its natural state, you may very well think that you have thoughts. To what extent can you control thoughts? Your thoughts. I mean, you can't control somebody else's thoughts, but uh, can you control your own thoughts? I've been meeting with you a lot, (laughs) one-on-one. The prospects don't look good. (laughs) In which case, if you can't even control your own thoughts, what on earth gives you the basis for believing that they're yours? That they're not just happening to you? So in this practice, we are going in the opposite direction of this ancient habit of human beings, which is very manifest and transparent in the modern world. Uh, What are your assets? What can you control? Oh, you are of great worth. You are a very, very worthy person. You are of a great value to society because look what you have, what your assets are and what you can control. And it's not only money. How many employees do you have? 
Wow, you have a lot of employees. That means you can fire them anytime you like, right? Yep, they're my employees. And you can make them go left and right and stand up and sit down. You can do that. Yep, they're my employees. Right? And so that whole theme there, what's your worth? What's your worth? How many people, how much property, how many assets do you control? And therefore, they are yours. And here we're coming into right the headquarters of our own corporation, right? Incorporated mind, right into the headquarters, or in Buddhism it would be more heart quarters, and coming right there, and instead of seeking to control, you know, your headquarters, you're releasing control, and just observing your mind out of control, and sustaining control of just one thing, and that is just your awareness of it, sustaining that without distraction and without grasping. And in so doing, finding, beginning to find what your true worth is. And it pertains back to, and then I want to jump into the meditation, but one of the four themes, all that is, all of themes of Buddhism, highlighting the reality of impermanence. All that is born perishes. All that rises to high level descends to low. Wherever there is meeting, there is parting. And whatever is acquired will be lost. And they're so obvious. And yet, so often we're surprised. And we're upset. Maybe distraught. When we find someone has died. How can that be? How can that be? When we acquire something and then we lose it, how can that be? How can that be? When we meet with someone, there's a relationship, something comes together, and then it's no longer. How can that be? And when we rise to a higher status and then we lose it, how can that be? As if we're caught by surprise every time it happens, whereas it always happens. So why should we be surprised by something that always happens? It doesn't make any sense. And that's because we're living in a fantasy world. We're not attending to reality. So here we're trying to get real. Get real with respect to our own minds and attend to the rising and falling, the coming and going, the meeting and the parting of the events that arise within the space of the mind, relinquishing all control over the contents and so doing, gradually, gradually discovering our own inner resources which were never obtained so they can't be lost. They're actually you could say actually yours. Okay? So let's jump in, settling the mind. As an act of loving-kindness for yourself, let your awareness descend into the body, right down to the ground, and pervade the field of the body as you settle your body in its natural state. 
and settle your respiration in its natural rhythm as a means for settling your inner voice, not to speak of your outer voice, in its natural state of effortless silence. Breathe out. Breathe out and release the thoughts, the breath, and breathe out excess muscular tension or tightness in the body. And for a little while, direct the focus of mindfulness to the space of the body and focus primarily on the tactile events, the somatic events that arise within this field, the sensations or appearances of solidity, of the earth element, of fluidity, the water, of warmth, fire, of motion, of motility the air element. Attend to these tactile events arising within the space of the body and observe them with mindfulness, sustained without distraction and without grasping, simply observing their nature, without seeking to control them in any way.
even though you are tending to events taking place within the space of your body. It may be quite obvious that most of the events taking place within this space are not under your control. They are simply arising in dependence upon causes and conditions. But no one made them. No one owns them. And no one controls them. They are simply natural events arising in space. Now with your eyes at least partially open and your gaze resting vacantly in the space in front of you, direct your mindfulness to the space of the mind and whatever mental events arise within that space. And in this session, focus your attention primarily on the thoughts and mental images that arise within this space, simply observing their nature without preference, without hope or fear, desire or aversion. Let your awareness rest motionlessly in the present moment. Not dragged to the past or the future by whatever thoughts that arise, but hovering without grasping in the present moment. directed single-pointedly to the domain of mental experience such that as soon as a thought or an image arises you notice it immediately you observe its nature you let it be and you sustain the flow of your mindfulness without distraction and without grasping and in this way, let's continue practicing in silence.
And let's bring this session to a close. In Dujum Lingba's account of this practice, which is the most elaborate that I've seen in the Vajra Essence, he gives the counsel with which you're all familiar by now, and that is in between sessions, maintain an ongoing mindfulness of what's taking place within your own mind. So continue the practice, not as single pointedly. So it can be in the context of open presence, which I've recommended to a number of you in between sessions, just letting your awareness kind of flower, be open, very relaxed, very spacious, including open to all the sense fields, the visual, auditory, and so forth. But all the sense fields, of course, includes the mind. And so simply being aware of the thoughts, the emotions, the, the impulses, and so forth that arise, and maintaining that in between sessions so you have a smooth transition when you go back into your next formal session. And then you may rec rec recall the, the old Kadamba aphorism, and that is when the mental afflictions arise, that's when I'm on greatest guard. And so the mind is not always equally beset or assaulted by mental afflictions, but when they do arise, we get irritated by something or any mental affliction arises, that's a time to be especially on guard. And what does that mean? It doesn't necessarily mean to suppress it, although that's not always not such a bad thing. Suppression is one possibility, that is, be gone. I, I have, you know, take control and simply, no, I, don't, I won't tolerate this. That's nothing wrong with that. That is actually something the Buddha taught. But another one, a lighter touch, is just to be watching it very carefully and not enter into the cognitive fusion with it. And that's quite sufficient too. Because then it's not getting over the ramparts and taking control of your headquarters. You're just watching it, watching it. And so that's quite sufficient. So the, the degree, the intensity of watchfulness of the mind can correspond rather closely to how heavily the mental afflictions are arising. When they're quite soft, you can throttle back, more, more go into the open awareness or other practices, of course. But when the mental afflictions arise, that's the time especially to watch very closely and be present with them without distraction, without grasping. So that's enough. See you a little bit later this afternoon. <laughs>